Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. You have come and you have rescued us. Father God, we also come confessing. We are prone to believe lies. We are prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. But thanks be to God, your truth has found us. And lastly, God, we confess without you, we are perishing. But in you, we have life today and eternally. So we come with a posture of gratitude, eager to hear from you, eager to respond to you, eager to be changed by you. And we confidently can pray this in the name in whom the way, the truth, and the life is found. In your name, Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat, Paseo. Hey, if you've got a Bible, uh, and I hope you do. Uh, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible and you don't have one on your phone, uh, there should be a Bible in front of you uh, where you can go ahead and turn there to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 3. We're continuing our series, That You May Believe. And that is from one of the latter verses in the Gospel of John, 20, chapter 20, verse 31. These signs are written... These accounts that we're going through for the next couple of weeks, and we have been over the last several weeks, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Our hope and our prayer and our desire and our confidence this morning is that through the Word of God, we will see who Jesus is, what he has said, what he has done, and how that makes a difference in our life. That, if we could go back, keep that verse up, that by believing that, by receiving that, we may have life in his name, not in our liking of his teachings, not in our liking of his morals, not even in our own devotion or dedication to him, but in our unity with him. That where Jesus goes, we go. What he says, we say. What he loves, we love. That our united, being united to him changes us forever, changes us starting today, and it changes us into eternity when we see him face to face. That is our hope, our prayer, and our confidence as we go to the word this morning. And this morning, we're going to look at faulty eyes, a fresh start, and why we just don't get it. We're going to be in John chapter 3, and we're going to see how a man who ought have known it all, ought have done it all, ought to have figured it out, has a life-changing, eternity-altering encounter with Jesus Christ and his paradigms shift. Who he is and how he has seen the world will forever be changed after this encounter with Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, John chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
This man came to Jesus by night immediately, and we'll stop there, and we'll, we'll kind of go that way. We'll, we'll take some side trips here. Uh, Nicodemus, we know three things about him right off the bat. Number one, he is a Pharisee. He's a very learned man. He is a man who would have memorized the entire first five books of the Bible. We probably can't even name them all. He is a very, very devoted man, a man who has not just made love of God his devotion and his heart's desire, but his career and his public image. He is also a ruler of the Jews, so he's a member of the Sanhedrin. It's a smaller group of Pharisees who have political, cultural, social, and religious influence. Okay, he is in charge of purchasing land for the temple. He's in charge of appointing judges to the courts. He's in charge of the religious calendar and religious holidays. He is an IRS worker, liaison to the district attorney's office, works for the clerk, and he's your worship pastor. I mean, the dude knows it all. He's got an in anywhere. If you need something done, if you need a permit, you go to this guy. If you've got a Bible question, you go to this guy. He knows it all. He's done it all. And he comes to Jesus by night. Some people say that that's a a knock on Nicodemus. I don't see it. I see Jesus uh, being a rising public figure. He just turned water into wine, or if he went to Cal Baptist, water into grape juice. Uh, Very good grape juice, very fun grape juice. Uh, But I'm a Baptist, so I have to say that. Um, And then he cleanses the temple. So he is doing a lot of things. He is coming in power in word and in deed. So Jesus is rising in his popularity, and Nicodemus is a very public, very popular, very powerful figure. Imagine the headlines. Imagine the news. Imagine social media. Imagine the mess in the temple, right? As we studied a couple of weeks ago, this is during the Passover. It's likely that this encounter with Jesus that Nicodemus has is during a holiday, a national holiday. There's crowds. It's busy. So Nicodemus is very smart. He's not a a member of the Sanhedrin for nothing. He comes to Jesus by night. No PR, no photo op, no people wanting to sneak a picture. Real conversation, real questions, real answers. Nicodemus wants to get to the bottom of something. And so he comes to Jesus by night. And he says to him, we're continuing on in John chapter 3, Rabbi, We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. As I mentioned, the turning the water into wine, the cleansing of the temple. Uh, Nicodemus would have been a very conservative member of the Jewish religious elite. I see him standing back in the temple where he would have been during the Passover feast as Jesus is knocking people out of church. And I see Nicodemus standing in the back, nodding his head, liking what he sees. He's a, he's a young, hot shot, this Jesus guy. I like him. He might be something someday. Now, he's not a rabbi. Jesus is a carpenter, like his daddy. But Jesus has something that's different. Jesus is not some just rebel This very learned man, this very experienced man, Nicodemus, knows that there's something about Jesus that's different about what he's doing. So he comes to Jesus with a posture of learning. He doesn't ask a question. 
He just makes a statement. And he comes to Jesus, the rabbi comes to Jesus, the carpenter, to learn. And this is what Jesus responds to that compliment slash question slash observation slash Nicodemus, what do you want? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What we're going to talk about this morning is this idea that we might have experienced God around us, but apparently experiencing God around us is not the same as experiencing God within us. That being around God's people, that knowing God's word is not the same as being transformed by God's spirit. This concept of being born again is something that's very familiar to Nicodemus. Deuteronomy, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, very famous passages speak of this rebirthing, reawakening of the people of God by the spirit of God. But it's going to be different. This is going to be a passage that's going to change Nicodemus from the inside out for all of his life and for all of eternity. And to kind of understand what Jesus says to Nicodemus, I wanted to show you a picture of faulty eyes. And we can put that uh, illustration up on the screen. Show of hands. How many see a young woman? Okay. Show of hands. Who sees an old woman? Show of hands. Who many of you are like, I have no clue. I don't know. What are we talking about? It's a very famous picture. It's used in lots of different examples. Um, we're, we're playing with fire here. And I'm not that tall. So that is the woman's, young woman's chin, old woman's nose. That's the nose of the old woman. That's the mouse, mouth of the old woman up there, and I'm not very tall, and I keep praying, but it's not happening. Uh, up there is the young woman's nose. How come you see one thing and I see another? Jesus tells Nicodemus, you think you've been seeing me do some things. You think you can see God at work. No, you can't. What you see is not what is. What you see, you, you do not have the eyes to see the kingdom of God, unless you are born again. Something must happen. Thanks for taking that picture up because people are going to be like, I don't see it. No, I do. Yes, I, uh, no, yes, I don't. Uh, yeah. Paradigm shifts. How we see the world. How we see who God is. How we see ourselves. How we see that interaction. That's going to blow up in Nicodemus' face, and I hope it does in yours as it did in mine. Because... Nicodemus is a guy, I don't know the first five books of the Bible by heart, but I teach students and I'm around church all the time. And Jesus says that's not enough. And Jesus says that I can trick myself into thinking that what's in my head is equivalent to what's going on in my heart. And that what I do with my hands is enough to cover what's not happening inside of my heart. And I can do a lot and I can know a lot, but I could not be transformed at all. And at the end of days, when I see him face to face, I might be like those in Matthew 7, whom Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, because I thought I knew him, but he had never done a work in me. And I thought I did a lot for him, and he 
was never doing a transforming work in my heart. I hope that's not us this morning, and I pray it's not, and I'm confident it will not be if we heed the words of Jesus. Let's get going. Verse 4, John chapter 3. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? No commentary needed on that. It's the most awkward religious ritual in the history of religion. Um, if you read any commentary, Nicodemus doesn't get it. It goes right over his head. But I think he gets it in a way that maybe some of us relate. And I was thinking about one of my coworkers as we were doing, uh, we were doing security for a, a concert at Sleep Train Amphitheater. And if you've ever been to a concert at Sleep Train Amphitheater, it's like herding kittens. It's absolutely a mess. Everybody's everywhere. It's horrible. But in the midst of the kittens being herded into this amphitheater, a young family stood out to my partner and I. And uh, they were hauling a little kid in a little cart. And the kid had his earphones because they were responsible parents for the noise. And he's eating all the snacks. And he's just loving life. There's weird people all around. Mom bought me sugar. And I don't have to walk. So it's, it's a great day for him. And... Um, my partner looks over at me, and I won't tell you how old he is because then I'll offend you, but Nicodemus says he's older, and so my partner, he's a little older than me, a little. <laughs> he looks over at me, he's like, what I would not do to be him again. He goes, to know what I know, to have done what I've done, but to start all over again. And he starts telling me about his couple of failed marriages his changes in careers, the critical incidents, that, that, that the, the horrible things he's had to see and experience in his life. He was a serviceman, so he, he has had to go through a lot. And he says, what I wouldn't do to be that little kid again, but to know what I know, right? To, to, to kind of like get a do-over, but to have learned a little bit. Reincarnation in a way. I think that's what Nicodemus is asking. Can I get a second chance? Do I get a second shot? Is there a way for me? I'm old. I've done what I've done. My career is set. My life is set. Is there a way that I can start over again? Jesus answered him. This is the first paradigm shift. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus tells Nicodemus, no matter how many times you come out of your mom, no matter the new tax bracket, the new house, the new job, the new friends, the new location, no matter how many times you get to start over and do it again, you cannot get rid of you. Your motives, your thoughts, your words, your deeds, you are who you should not be. You're not who you should be. You're a sinner. You are broken. Flesh, another translation says, flesh begets flesh. That sounds official. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, no matter how many times you try to do this over and over again, 
It's not going to create the renewal that you're seeking. It's not going to create the renewal that you're asking for. It's not going to create the renewal that you know deep down you need and crave. You need a work of the Spirit. You need to be born again by water and Spirit. This is an allusion to Ezekiel 36. We're going to have it up on the screen. Where it was prophesied that there will be one day where God will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I, God, will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The paradigm shift is not the first part for Nicodemus. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. Forgiveness. Anytime you see the the water mentioned in Scripture, it's usually referencing a cleansing, a forgiveness of sin. And many of us don't struggle with that concept, that God forgives us. He has to, right? Like, that's kind of the deal. I signed on the dotted line, so God has to love me. The second part is more challenging, because I don't have to be stuck in the miry clay of my sin. I don't have to be going to growth group week after week after week after week after week going, I can't figure out how to get better because I have a new power. I have a new spirit. See, my heart of stone was not responsive. It could not move. If anything, I'm rolling away from God. But I don't have a heart of stone anymore. God has come into my life, and I have a heart of flesh that's responsive, that's breathing, that's active, that's living, that can move, that can say yes. Now, I don't always, but now I can. I now have the power within me to do and be who God wants me to be, to say and do and follow where God wants me to go. I am not powerless anymore, but it's not from within me. It's from him through me. And that's a paradigm shift for Nicodemus because for Nicodemus, if you were born to the right family and you learned the right things, then you're good. But the problem is we know inside of our hearts that we're not. So you have to walk around either pretending or defeated because you know you're not who you should be. You know you're not living up to what this says you should be, but you're forgiven, so you're okay But you walk around defeated without the power to live how God wants you to live. He says, you need to be born of water and the Spirit. You need a forgiveness, but you need a new power. You don't have to be stuck in 20 plus years of the same sin. You can actually see victory. You can see God himself begin to do a work in you. And it's not you pulling up yourselves by your bootstraps. It's God himself doing it inside of you. It's a paradigm shift for Nicodemus. And he says this then. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God, the work of God, God doing a work within you is like the wind. Uh, Which is a little odd, but we see three things and we'll go in succession through them. The first is that the wind blows where it wishes. It's independent. The wind does not ask us our opinion. Ask the firefighters. The wind does not ask our opinion. Ask survivors of Hurricane Katrina. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and we do not know where it comes from or where it goes. The work of God is mysterious. The work of God is independent of us. We cannot manufacture God's work in our life. Now, we can fake each other out. We can fake our spouses out. We can fake our kids out. Speaking to this section, we can fake our parents out. Sup, students? <laughs> we cannot fake God out because God's work is independent of us. The, the work of God does what it wants to do. And even just between services, and we heard a little, little bit about it last week through uh, Pastor Shelton's message, but God's work is mysterious. Many of us, if we drew our life out, we would not have drawn it up to be here in this moment. We would be doing other things, but maybe the most wonderful, gracious blessing that God has ever done has interrupted our plans for his, his plans. Amen? And as he has interrupted us, we have seen that his mysterious work has brought us to a place of deep, deep relationship with him and to who we were meant to be and how we were meant to live. And while the work of God is mysterious and it is independent of us, we hear its sound. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's been hot lately. Um, and you walk into somewhere that has air conditioning and the relief that you instantly feel. The firefighters who cannot wait for the wind of, of Northern California to do its work. It will be evident when the winds work. It will be evident when the work of God begins to happen in your life. And for those of us that are lifers in church, it's a little bit difficult. We Sometimes we ask this little section, sorry, you guys are not students. The people behind you are junior high and high school students. Although you, maybe you wish you could go back to that life stage. But junior high and high school, like, when did you become a Christian? And they're like, I've always been a Christian. Like, ah, you're out. Uh, oh, I thought those were my notes. I was really worried. Um, there was a moment, there was a time when we were not a Christian, when we were not awakened by the Spirit of God, when we had a spirit of stone, a, a heart of stone. And, and here's the thing is we might not know the date for some of us because we've been around for so long, but we ought know the change. Well, we don't know the date, and it was a process because we were you know, born into the baptismal kind of thing. Like we, we have, life has been church. That's a good thing. That is a blessing. If you have a boring testimony, that is the most wonderful thing God can give you. But it can also be very tricky because we begin to assume that because we know and because we do, we've been transformed. So the work of God is independent. It's mysterious, but it's evident there ought be a change. There ought be something that is different in us, around us, because of us, through the work of God in our lives, in our hearts. And at this point, Nicodemus has no clue what's going on. Let's continue. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? And so we read of the second paradigm shift. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? Yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I have 
if I tell you heavenly things. Nicodemus, the distance between your head and your heart is the distance between you and God. You can't get out of your head. You know the Greek word. You know the, well, for his, in his case, you know the Hebrew word. You know the verses. You know what they mean. You've read the commentaries. You teach people, but it has not changed you. You do not receive him. Maybe you admire him. Maybe you like him. Maybe you want Jesus for your kids. Maybe you want Jesus for your spouse. Maybe you want Jesus for your neighborhood. But Jesus has not done a work in you. And Nicodemus is, is confronted with this paradigm shift. It's not what I have done. It's not what I have learned. It's what God is to do. It's what God has to show me. It's got to be God's work in my heart, not my work around God's people. Not what, and, and is learning important? Absolutely. That is how we get to know who he is, his character, his goodness. That's why Every Sunday, we open the word. That's why at student ministry, we open the word, because we believe that we need to know him. But this is not who we worship. It is him whom we worship, and it is him who we know through his word. And for some of us, this is a hard word, and and I pray that it's producing in me a soft heart, that Jesus' hard words of, and you're the teacher of the youth group, and your anger is still there, and your quick temper is still there, and, and you say that you know all of it, you say that you can teach, you say that you're a part of it, you say that you're at growth group every week, and there's no evidence of the wind blowing through your heart. That needs to be a paradigm shift, though. I'm not so proud of just the things I know, but I am excited and thankful and praising God for the things he's done and how he has changed me. And I'm not just celebrating the new Greek word that I learned. I'm celebrating the God who is transforming me from the inside out. And my wife notices the difference. And the student ministry notices the difference. And my coworkers notice the, dis- the difference. Not just my moleskin journal. And that is a hard word for me. Jesus continues. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What an odd turn of events. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you know your Bible. Remember Numbers 21? This is one of the most interesting stories in all of Scripture. If you know uh, the Passover, uh, it's in Exodus. We find that the people of God, it's, um, they are in slavery and captivity. Um, Egypt, the nation of Egypt has essentially put them in captivity and in slavery. And God wants to free his people. And so he sends down a curse for sin. But if you trust in him, God does not just send curse. God is not just a God of judgment, but a God of rescue in the Old Testament and in the New. He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He sent a curse, but if you trusted in him and did and followed in response to him, he would pass over you 
and your family, and that became known as the national holiday of the Passover, that God's curse would pass over the people, and they have received God's love and rescue, and that became the national holiday, the Passover. And we never do this, but the people of God began complaining that God rescued them, but God rescued them wrong. And that God was loving them, but God was loving them wrong. And that God was taking care of them, but not the way they had thought. So God sends them into the desert, sends them into timeout. That's li- you can read it for yourself. Now, that might be a little translation difference, but sends them into timeout. And as they're out there, they're still grumbling, they're still complaining. And a God who is perfect and holy and righteous cannot be around sin. And what we do when we go against God is sin. And they're sinning, so they receive their due punishment for their sin. And snakes come out and start biting them, which at that point, I'm out. Like, that is, we are done. Like, I, that, I'm, I'm laying down, waiting for the snakes to bite me, and I'm just, I'm out. I cannot stand snakes. Yeah, kind of, I, I'm, thank you. I'm Indiana Jones. But God never just sends judgment. He always sends rescue. And so he told Moses, have a snake, a bronze serpent, on a wooden stick, and lift it up. And when the people get bit, if they trust the silly, ridiculous piece of wood, because it's not about the wood, it's about the God who told us to look to him, you will be saved. Because there is never only judgment from the heart of God. There is always rescue. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, do you remember that story? That's me. You remember how the serpents would come and curse them and lead them to perishing and they would be rescued in faith by God's work? I'm God's work for your heart. I'm God's work for your life, Nicodemus. Why? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. I'm not a spiritual guru. I'm God himself. I am God in the flesh. And it's a hard concept, and I don't pretend to know it uh, fully, but I will, it's a helpful analogy for me. You know my thoughts through my words, right? We know God's heart, God's thoughts, through the visible work of Jesus Christ. Who God is, is completely made visible and tangible in the person and the work of Jesus. So you can know how God feels about you. You can know how God wants to rescue you. Why? Because he didn't just stay up there and tell you he loved you. He actually descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. God's work always produces in God's people a natural response. It's that heart that we talked about in Ezekiel. I am now responsive. I can now react to God's work in my life. I no longer ignore him. I no longer reject him. I no longer deny him. I now respond to him. And God's work is now living and active in my life. What a paradigm shift, right? Well, and you know this verse. You know these next few verses. They're so familiar because they're so true. They're so familiar because they're so good. Unfortunately, they're so familiar, sometimes we ignore them. Verse 16 of chapter 3 of John. For God so loved the world that he gave 
his only son. That is a paradigm shift. It is a paradigm shift that God loved the rebellious, that God loved the broken, that God loved the undeserving. Because in Greek mythology, you got to love knowledge, and that was your love of God. In the Quran, there are 99 names for God listed. Not one of them has love in it. In Hinduism, if you sacrifice, you receive a concept of love. In the Baha'i faith, it is a lifelong journey to receive love. At Jesus, here we see God's heart toward us, which is this. I loved you, so I gave to you, and then you respond to me. That is a paradigm shift. The paradigm shift is that God loved me when I was broken, broken as I still am. But God loved me when I had no interest in him. I was stone and he made me flesh. And now I can respond to him. Now I can live for him. But the paradigm shift is I'm not working for his love. My life began with his love. And that paradigm shift of God's character of love producing a great act of love, the giving of his only son, ought produce something in us. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We cannot stand on the fence with Jesus. We are moving towards perishing or we are moving toward life. You do not have another option, no matter how many perspectives you want to have. You're either moving towards perishing or toward life. And Jesus comes and says, I can put you, as we sang, in the only way. God's character and God's work always produce in the heart of God's people a response. Always. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I can do a fine job of ruining my eternity. Jesus did not need to come help me. I sin just fine without Jesus. Jesus is goal, Jesus' purpose, Jesus' mission was not one of condemnation. You can do that by yourself, but of salvation. You need his work in your heart, in your life, in your soul to do that. You can send yourself to where it's hot for a really long time just by yourself. You don't need Jesus' help. And I love that we get to see Jesus' words to Nicodemus because we get to see God's heart. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, the group that's going to end up killing Jesus, is going to show up in the middle of the night and have a conversation. And if I was Jesus, I'm having a debate, and I'm owning him. I'm not sharing about my love for him. If I'm Jesus, that's not my posture. That's Jesus' posture towards Nicodemus. I love you. You need a paradigm shift. Wake up. Come alive. You need life. 
Jesus' heart toward him, Jesus' heart toward me, Jesus' heart toward us is not one of let me beat you down. But as the Son of Man is lifted up and in three days he will come out of the grave, so will you, so can you, if you believe in his name. Nicodemus does not get rejected. Nicodemus gets an invitation. And I just think of Nicodemus' first question. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus has something much better than just keep on trying, keep on working, keep on getting better, keep on trying to be better. Jesus has something much greater than just work for one day having love and acceptance. Jesus has a posture of rescue. You stand, I stand, in a place worthy of judgment. But God's heart is never one only of judgment. It always comes with rescue. And that invitation is there. And for some of us, that might be why we just don't get it. Because it's so hard to believe. It's too good to be true. And for some of us, that's the distance between us and God. And Jesus comes, and as we sang earlier, he breaks those walls down. He wants you to know his heart, his posture is one that's for you, not against you. One of rescue, not condemnation. And that's really good news. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done. You so loved me that you gave your only son for me. That if I believe in you, I have life. It's personal. Father God, I pray for us in this room that we just, that we don't just say God loved the world, but God, God loved us, that you love us, that you give us life. It's personal. It's something that's within our reach because you are so good to us, because you have awakened us. I pray for all of us, whether it's the thousandth time or the first time, that we feel the awakening of your spirit within our soul. Do not leave us the same. Help us not just be aware of your spirit, but responsive to it. Help us not quench it, but to keep on step and walking with it. Thank you, Jesus. We are not alone. We are not left to our own devices. We have been rescued. We have life. Help us respond to you this morning. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Tell the world of the treasure you found. There's actually a last paradigm. You don't have to turn there. It's in John 19. It's after Jesus was executed jointly by the religious and the political powers of the day, Nicodemus's buddies. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, who is Nicodemus, asked Pilate, Nicodemus's golf buddy, 
that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. The last paradigm is that it didn't stay here. It didn't stay here. It transformed. And from the inside out, Nicodemus risks reputation, friendships, career, everything to walk with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to be and associate with who Jesus is. At that moment, a dead, convicted criminal. But three days later, that is not the case. And three days later, Nicodemus is associating with Jesus, not the dead man, convicted criminal, but the risen Savior who gives life today and eternal. And that's the invitation for all of us. That the last paradigm is that it doesn't stay here, but it, from the inside out, transforms everything as we align ourselves with Jesus and we find life in him. I pray that's the case for you this morning. Be blessed.